0: Welcome to RV Out West. I'm your host, Brooks. My family of four's base camp is located in the beautiful Pacific Northwest, and our RV adventures radiate from there. I'm relatively new to RVing, and a few years ago, I convinced my wife that for an anniversary present, we should buy a used tent trailer from some friends of ours. Ever since then, we have fallen head over heels for the RV life, and we now find ourselves towing a 26-foot Jayco travel trailer. So grab yourself a mug of coffee and join us as we discuss RVing around the West. From sweet camping spots, gear and equipment, to tips and tricks, we've got you covered. We are RV Out West. Welcome. Today we are going to be discussing the refreshing summertime spirit of Jen with Uncle Mark. Uncle Mark is a world traveler, a Class A motorhome hopeful, and a self-proclaimed food and booze geek. His appreciation for distilled spirits runs deep and he has an insatiable thirst to always be learning and ever curious. Currently, his home bar has 16 different kinds of gins and counting. Uncle Mark, thanks so much for joining me today on RV Out West.
1: Glad to be here, this is fun, one of my favorite topics. Exactly, I'm looking forward to having this conversation
0: with you. What can you tell me, historically, how did Jinn come about? What do you know about the history of the spirit?
1: Well, let me start out, first of all, by saying I, I don't really consider myself to be an expert. I'm not a spirit historian. I'm, no. I, guess, I guess I'd classify myself as sort of a, a passionate amateur, as it were, I guess. Uh,
0: With a thirst for knowledge.
1: A thirst for knowledge, always. I consider myself to be uh, a perpetual learner and, and thirsty for knowledge and ever curious Um, And certainly I am a consumer of gin and an avid consumer of gin. And you caught me and this topic, I think, at a good time as we sit here in mid-June coming into the summer season here in the Northern Hemisphere. This is an especially apt time to be thinking about gin and turning our attention to it because, of course, as the weather gets warmer, uh, gin is a great uh, ingredient for a lot of summertime beverages. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what I do know about the history of gin. Most people, I think, associate gin with the United Kingdom, and I think that's appropriate. Gin is classically thought of as having some historical roots in England. And to a large extent, that's true. But um, as many of your listeners may know, um, the history of gin really probably more appropriately is attributed to um, some combination of either the Netherlands or maybe Belgium. Um, and again, some folks may know that gin was known earlier by a name. Uh, it starts with a letter J. I think it's correctly pronounced Yenaver. Um, and Yenever derives actually from the, I guess it would be the Flemish um, spelling and pronunciation of the word juniper. Uh, and again, many people probably know that the distinctive gin flavor that people that have drunk gin will know, <coughs> excuse me, as the juniper berry, uh, comes from the juniper tree. So yenever was a, was a spirit that was initially concocted by the Dutch, and that's kind of the early history. So the, the Dutch people made this thing called Geneva, um, but back in about the early 17th century, it made its way to England, and the British very much embraced gin, and it really took off there. And so in modern times, we very much think of gin as being kind of an English thing, and much of the world's gin has come from, the, from England for a long time, although... One of the great things about gin is that gin is easy to make quickly. Um, unlike our 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 friends, the brown liquors, whiskeys in particular, but not exclusively, gin doesn't require any aging. So, new craft distilleries, of which we are fortunately awash these days, gin can be made quickly. Um, and so, gin distilleries, really good ones, have sprung up all over the world. We are in the midst of a. Craft gin. Yeah. Renaissance, sort of an explosion. Anyway, so that's, that's as much as I know.
0: What is it about gin personally that you enjoy so much?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I guess I'd have to say that I like, I actually like the juniper flavor. Uh, gins are flavored with lots of things besides just juniper. In order for gin to be gin, it must be have that essential juniper flavor but there are many other things other than juniper that go into it so if you were to taste uh, any number of gins you'll find that they can taste very very different but juniper will always be one I component sense. yeah 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 it has to be there but but they can vary pretty widely but i do like the juniper flavor gin is also quite polarizing amongst people in other words yeah, it's weird it, it is it is and unfortunately, <laughs> it's sort of funny, you'll you'll hear people say, oh, my God, I can't stand it. It tastes like gasoline or turpentine or, you know, it's kind of like Brussels sprouts, right? right. Some people love them and some people just hate them. And there's no um, middle
0: road with gin, I feel like. There is no middle, middle road. You either like it or you don't like it. And it's yeah. a pretty clear, That's right. delineated line.
1: That's right. And if, you, and if you drill down, and it can also be a little bit like tequila, if you drill down some people have had a bad experience with it, you know, maybe back when they were in high school or college, maybe they had a bad experience, uh, but maybe not. Maybe it's just that, you know, the flavor doesn't match. I like gin. Um, I do like a gin martini. So occasionally gin, gin straight on it, more or less on its own, but gin mixes well with a number of things. Of course, a gin and tonic is a classic beverage um, and there's a good reason. And that's because the gin juniper flavor marries up nicely with the quinine, which is the essential flavor in tonic. And it just goes beautifully. And you add that fresh little spritz of citrus from a squeeze of lime or whatever. And a gin and tonic is just a lovely, light, refreshing beverage in the summertime. And I very rarely drink gin and tonic, almost never drink gin and tonics in colder weather um, because it is a long, lower alcohol, refreshing summer drink.
0: What are some of these different properties that you've seen being involved in in the gin?
1: Some of the other herbs and spices that are commonly found in various gin formulations for want of a better term would be things like anise, uh, caraway, coriander, cardamom. Yeah. I've had cardamom. um, Even a, even a touch of cinnamon. Um, certainly, um, citrus, um, but not citrus juice, but citrus either pith or peel. Yeah, I was going to Yeah, yeah and, and I think, and again, I don't know, I'm not an expert, yeah. but I believe, no, what, I believe what the manufacturers are doing is in many cases, they're using the dried essences, and then they're using them during the, um, in the distillation process to get those essential flavors. I do know that as I've tasted a number of different gins, they can be across a wide range of the spectrum gins not quite but almost by definition gins tend to be quite dry but but within that definition there's actually quite a there's a lot of room for variation they can be pretty floral um but they can be a little bit fruitier so you can get a little bit of a fruitier less dry flavor profile if you will um there's a new gin that I tasted just a few weeks ago uh, here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, to the extent that your listeners have access to the chain, if I can mention them by name, Total Wine, um, they have lately been carrying a gin called uh, Del Fiori. Um, and it has a very wonderful floral flavor profile. Um, and it's also quite inexpensive and it's available here in Washington anyway. And it's very, very good
0: besides a martini right there's the classic kind of martini that you know whatever i i do appreciate and i'm actually not even a fan really of vermouth at all i don't like how it changes the flavor of the gin so
1: may, may i if i may yeah please i'd like to i'd like to share a thought about that if i could yeah um and i'm gonna i'm gonna share a thought that uh, an important piece of education that and 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 many people perhaps including you would disagree with me um, but this is something that was passed on to me by my uh, my late elder brother, um, and it has stood me in good stead now over the last, I don't know how many years it's been, maybe 20 years. Um, when I was drinking gin early on, I, I had fell into a misconception. Um, many people have, have heard all kinds of things about vermouth as it relates to a gin martini. <clears throat> Expressions like Oh, just look at the bottle of vermouth while you're making it. Uh, wave the bottle of vermouth in the general direction of the that's glass. That's what I
0: subscribe to. Wave the bottle over the top. Don't right. drop it in. So basically yeah. the bartender's like, you just want chilled gin in a glass. And I'm like, yes. And yes. throw three olives in it. And I don't that, want it dirty. Yeah. Okay. I, that's, what, that's how I subscribe to it. Absolutely.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So there, there are, there are lots of various sort of comedic references to an extra, 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 extra dry martini, which really means just don't put any darn vermouth in the glass at all. Okay. Totally. Well, well, what my brother taught me once upon a time, and I remember distinctly exactly where we were sitting at the time, which happened to be on a cruise ship, was in actual fact, a very small amount of dry vermouth and a very small amount. We're talking about like a quarter of a teaspoon has an effect on the drink such that you can't taste the vermouth at all, but it offers a smoothing effect on the overall cocktail. And here's the important message that I'd like to impart to your listeners. And I I would invite everybody, everybody to perform this experiment. Take a decent, but not special gin. And my suggestion would be to use beef eaters. I think, I think Bee Feeders is an absolutely stock standard, very acceptable, but I think everybody would agree, not a special gin, okay? Bee Feeders is not junk. It's not horrible, you know, um, rail gin, but it's certainly not top shelf either. And if you take Bee Feeders, and as you say, chill it and put it in a glass and sip it straight, it's a little rough. If you take Bee Feeders take a standard two ounce pour of beef eaters, put a bar spoon or less, a half a bar spoon of dry vermouth in it, chill that and pour it in a glass. What you'll find is that you can't really taste the vermouth at all, but boy, will it have smoothed out the rough edges on that martini. It's amazing. It's, a, it's an act of chemistry. And of course, if you make a martini with a cocktail onion rather than an olive, That makes the drink a Gibson.
0: So kind of just as we're wrapping up here, besides the martini, we already talked about the gin and tonic. Um, That's pretty much if I drink gin, that's uh, I'm basic. I'm one of two ways. I'm either doing the martini or I'm doing a gin and tonic. But uh, what other recipes or cocktails that are gin cocktails that are good and different that you would maybe recommend that would be good for a summer campground?
1: Okay, so um, in in the limited time we have remaining, there's perhaps one other thing I'd like to share that I've learned actually just since moving here to Seattle. Um, uh, When my wife Robin and I moved here eight years ago, we discovered a, a great little place up on Capitol Hill, and we were in there one day on a Sunday, and it was brunch time, and they served a drink that had a name, and I don't remember what it was called, um, we have since renamed it ourselves, but that's not important. What I discovered that day and have since reconfirmed over and over and over again is that gin marries beautifully with um, elderflower liqueur called Saint-Germain. What works really well is a three-way marriage, which is gin, Saint-Germain, and then citrus, either lemon or lime juice, fresh, of course, being preferable. I guess what I really want everybody to understand is that the gin flavor and the Saint Germain just goes wicked well together. It's just remarkable. So you'll wanna play with the proportion to see, but yes, classically, you'd use equal parts, gin, Saint Germain, and fresh either lemon or lime juice. And then maybe some simple syrup to adjust the sweetness. Now, the specific drink recipe I'm going to give you is take that as a base and then add some fresh strawberries and cucumber slices, muddle that all together. And when I say muddle, what I do is I throw it in a shaker with a bunch of ice cubes, shake it vigorously. So basically the strawberries and cucumbers wind up just getting pummeled to bits in the bottom of the shaker can by the ice cubes pour that into a tall glass like a like a pint glass and then top that with with bubbles bubbly inexpensive champagne and you want and of course that decreases the the alcohol right because the bubbly is relatively low alcohol it is just a fantastic summer brunch kind of a beverage it's long it's cool it's refreshing that essence of strawberry and cucumber comes through it is delicious I cannot even tell you.
0: Well, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me this morning.
1: Hey, this has been lots of fun. I really enjoyed it, Brooks.
0: It's time for our Pit Stop. And in this Pit Stop, I'm going to share with you about our recent experience camping at the Willapa Bay KOA along the Washington coast. If you're looking for a peaceful experience and great customer service, then this just might be your jam. Willapa Bay is located just east of the Long Beach Peninsula, which separates the bay from the Pacific Ocean. This tidal estuary is the second largest along the United States Pacific coastline. Spending most of my life growing up in and around Washington State, this is an area of the coast that I have not explored that much. About 15 miles before Aberdeen, the childhood home of Kurt Cobain, is the turnoff south towards the town of Raymond. And a little further to the coast is the Willapa Bay Bay Center KOA. We arrived on the Thursday before Memorial weekend and this journey KOA, while small, was intimate and peaceful. The staff at this KOA campground was very helpful and they had many wonderful activities planned for the kids and they were 100% family focused. According to the bio on their website, after spending 20 plus years in corporate America, Iris and Ken decided to do what they do best, get outdoors. Their kid was headed to college and it seemed a good time to hit the road. They sold the house, bought a fifth wheel, and got into the work camper program with KOA. Being avid fishermen, they were looking for a spot near the ocean. Kenny always said, Colorado is beautiful, but it's a long cast to the ocean from there. After spending a season in North Carolina, they were fortunate enough to find a KOA of their own. They packed up and headed to the opposite side of the country, the coastline of Washington State. Iris had fond memories of clam digging with her father when they lived here years ago. So when they discovered the campground had its own clam bed, it was a perfect fit. Iris and Ken have found paradise in the small fishing community of Bay Center. This KOA has a short and easy walk down to the bay for stunning sunsets beachcombing, clamming, if in season, and just general exploration. The campground also offers a playground, a gaga ball pit, and they have hidden gnomes all over the campsite that are fun to find. Plus, they have bike rentals, they have an RC uh, car track as well. During this holiday weekend, they even provided extra activities with a hide-and-seek of red, white, and blue rocks that the children can turn in at the office for surprises. I should add that they also offer pizza and wings delivered to your campsite which for us came in super handy when we rolled into camp a little later than anticipated and we were able to order dinner while we were finishing setting up camp. They also have delicious I mean delicious ice cream. That was a perfect way to cap off our warm days when we visited. In this area there is a lot to explore, and this KOA is pretty well situated along the coast for a multitude of day or half-day excursions. Westport is a one-hour drive north along the coast, and in Westport, you can book fishing charter trips to go halibut or tuna fishing when in season. If you're an avid surfer, I've heard nothing but good things about this area if you're down for some cold-water surf sessions. Long Beach is a 45-minute drive south and around the Willapa Bay to the peninsula of long beach. This is your typical beach town and it is really is a great kite flying beach and there are kite stores in town and an annual kite flying festival, typically the third week of August Cape disappointment. State park is also a 45 minute drive south and this state park, if you're not camping there, you will need a discovery pass to be able to visit the park. It's $10 a day or $30 for the year. So depending on your plans, it might just be worth picking up the annual pass. There are great beaches here to play, tide pools to explore, and more beachcombing. There's also lots of great picnic spots that are also available for day use. The scenery down here is stunning. Astoria, Oregon. It's about a 48-minute drive south. You can cross the Astoria-Megler Bridge over the Columbia River and spend a day visiting Astoria. You may already know if you've listened to Episode 7 as I share all sorts of fun things to see and where to grab a pint as I love this town. This would be a great day trip. Give a listen to the pit stop in Episode 7 for all the details. The Willapa Bay KOA is a great journey KOA with an amazing and attentive staff. Everyone was so kind and helpful. I should mention that they even escorted us to our site on a bicycle and helped us to get parked. If you're looking for a little bit more seclusion and peacefulness along the Washington coast, this just might be the perfect KOA for you. In two weeks, we have an in-depth discussion with Joe Testa, the RV mentor and certified RV inspector with the National RV Inspector Association. We will be chatting about RV maintenance tips and techniques You will want to give this a listen. There is a lot of valuable information that he shares with us. In the meantime, please be sure to share with your friends and family about this podcast and head over to Apple Podcasts and leave this show a rating and a review. If you're not yet subscribed to the show, please do so so you never miss an episode. Now get out there, explore, and go see what's beyond the horizon. Thanks so much for listening to RV Out West. Join us again in two weeks with our next episode. Please like and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you choose to get your podcast so you never miss an episode. And I sure would appreciate if you left a rating or a review of the show. Special thanks to Scott Holmes Music for providing the intro song, We Are One. RV Out West can be found on Instagram and Facebook, where you can interact with us and follow along on our RV adventures around the Pacific Northwest. So get out there, explore, and go see what's beyond the horizon.